You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, one of the wonderful things I find about Christmas is the way in which Christmas really has a history. Uh, of course, it's uh, celebrating an event that happened in history, but I'm, I'm talking more about the kind of local family history that uh, Christmases accrete over the years. Uh, little family traditions little ways of doing Christmas that your particular family uh, creates and does that make Christmas Christmas for you. Uh, I think all families have those. It's kind of just those things that have been done year by year until they become a tradition. Or if you're an Anglican, you just do it once and then it becomes a tradition and you have to do it again and again for the rest of your life. Uh, my, my dad was an Anglican, an Anglican minister, and one of the Christmas traditions we had as a family was after he'd gone and done the three squillion services that he had to do, uh, he, we would get to Christmas lunch and he would fall asleep halfway through it. That was just a family tradition that has to happen. As a dad, I've tried to continue that uh, tradition. Uh, from year to year. But I wonder what your family traditions are. What are the things that you do as a family? What's the, the history of Christmas for you? Well, as we come to Christmas this year as a church, we come with the advantage of having spent a whole term looking at the family history of God's people at the book of Leviticus. And what I want you to see today is that that family history actually has everything to do with Christmas. So today I do want to introduce you to Leviticus. I think it's going to catch on. Uh, No, no, (laughs) some people shaking their heads. It's not, it's really not. I think it would be helpful if it did because it would remind us every time we said that Merry Leviticus to each other, that this is part of a story that began so much further back. It's not a story that began in the manger, it's a story that began even further back to the tabernacle or even further back than that to the purposes of God before the beginning of time. And it's all here in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory. See, Leviticus was all about an unholy people coming into the presence of a holy God and how that's actually problematic when you're not a holy person, when there is sin in our lives. We can't just come into the presence of God. And so Leviticus was about how it was that God gave the gift of being able to safely dwell among his people. Sin had to be dealt with. Sacrifices had to be made. And even then there was a separation. God's light and God's glory and his holiness was still too much for people. It had to be shrouded in the tabernacle. But now, with the coming of Christ... The holy God himself has come. The word became flesh. He left his glory and he came down. 
Well, uh, Tim Keller tells the story of in 1964 uh, in New York, a young woman, she was called Kitty Genovese, was coming home from work at about 3 a.m. A man attacked her and he stabbed her. And she cried out, he stabbed me, help me. And people up in their apartments did hear her. In fact, lights went on. Uh, someone called out, leave her alone. And so the attacker ran away, worried that someone would come. But no one came down. And so 10 minutes later, he came back and he finished the job. It's dreadful, isn't it? Terrible. It uh, gave rise to a whole uh, thing in psychology called the bystander effect, where if you've got lots of people uh, witnessing something going wrong, they don't feel the need to jump in. But I don't think that was the main problem there. Why didn't they go down? Why didn't they help her? Well, because if you go down, you make yourself vulnerable. You run the risk of being killed. That's why they didn't come down. But when God heard our cries, he came down. And when he came down, he didn't just run the risk of being killed like those other people would have. He knew. He knew that he would be killed. But he came. God became flesh. God became vulnerable. God became soft. God became one of us. He took on flesh so that he would be just like us. And that's more than just he came to be like us so that he'd have a pleasant holiday somewhere different. No, it was far from that. No, one of the reasons he came down uh, is explained in Hebrews chapter 2. Since we have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity. He became flesh in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. You remember in the book of Leviticus, we needed a high priest who would come and represent us to God. A high priest who had to be one of us, who had to be flesh and blood so that they were able to represent us in all that we are. Well, the word has become flesh. And because he became flesh, he can represent you, but not even just represent you, he understands you. Because he's been where you have been. He knows exhaustion and hunger and the feeling of being overwhelmed. He's experienced the kind of temptations you faced. He's felt the hurt of betrayal. He's suffered the breakdown of deep personal relationships. The word became flesh, became vulnerable, became just like you. And so whatever you're facing now, he 
has faced it too. You know when you're facing something and it's, it's really difficult and it's how wonderful it is when you go to someone and you know that they've actually faced the very same thing. Sometimes you go to people and you know they don't really understand. They haven't been in that position, but God has. He understands, he really understands because he's been through the same thing. Are you feeling betrayed? So was he. Are you lonely? So was he. Are you grieving? So did he. Are you facing death? Well, so did he. And so you can go to him, to Jesus, and know that he will understand utterly and he'll be full of compassion and he's trustworthy with your heart. I wonder, do you go to him? Whatever you're facing at the moment, he is your faithful high priest. You don't need a priest. You don't need me. You've got a faithful high priest. Someone you can go to who loves you and gets you and can help you because he is the word who became flesh. But he didn't just become flesh. The word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. That's what John 1.14 actually literally says in our NRSV translation. It says, and the word became flesh and lived among us. But the Greek word there is, I'll get a little bit Greek with you just for a moment, is eskenosin. And it's exactly the same word that was used in the uh, Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that they used in Jesus' day. It's exactly the same word that they used for tabernacle. If you were reading Leviticus, you would read this word, eskenosin, tabernacle, tented among us. The whole point of the tabernacle was actually to point us to Jesus, in whom God himself tabernacled among us. See, the tabernacle is where God and mankind met and Jesus is actually in himself the meeting between God and humanity. Jesus is that place. The tabernacle was the place in which sacrifices were made, sins were dealt with so that the people could be reconciled to God. And in him the holy God has come, not veiled in a tabernacle, but in flesh, in the flesh of Christ himself, which means the holy God has united himself to his people. It's not that we have to fulfill a whole lot of requirements so that we can live in the presence of a holy God. No, now the holy God himself has come to fulfill every requirement as one of us. Jesus is that place in which the ultimate perfect sacrifice was made to reconcile us with God. And it wasn't a sacrifice that we made, it's the sacrifice that God made to fit us for relationship with the Holy God. Colossians 1.19 says, In Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And... 
not only was all the fullness of God pleased to dwell in him, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. See, God came no longer veiled in canvas, but shrouded in flesh and blood. No longer separated from the trouble and toil of human life, but subject to it. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God came into the world and not separated by layers of religious observance. You know, sometimes it can be, can be very easy to kind of other God. There's an othering that happens when you put God in a temple or behind a set of ceremonies. But he's, he's not shrouded behind all of that. No, he's right here out in the world. God in the street, in the workplace, in the shops, in the stable with the animals, in the mess of life right where you and I live. A walking, talking tabernacle that doesn't wait for you to come to it, but he comes to you in all his grace and he breaks into your life, the holy God on a rescue mission to bring you his holiness. And you know what this means? It means you can't shut God up in church. You can't neatly confine God to this religious place you go to on a Sunday. When you deal with Jesus, you're not just dealing with a religion, a thing you do to make yourself a good person. You're dealing with the holy God who's broken out into the world and can meet you and does meet you anywhere at any time, totally unmediated. God, God isn't hidden here in church. And so you have to deal with God face to face, right with him. You can't uh, place either your good deeds or your religious works in front of him. No, you have to deal with God personally, immediately, relationally, closely. So you don't need a priest because Jesus is your priest. You don't need to make sacrifices because Jesus is your sacrifice. You don't have to visit the tabernacle because Jesus is the tabernacle, the word who has been made flesh and tabernacled among us. Well, not only that, has the word become flesh and tabernacled among us, but we have seen his glory. See, that means in Jesus Christ we can see the glory of God. In the Old Testament, the glory had to be veiled. We spent a whole term looking at that. When Moses asked to see the glory of God, the fullness of his character, God says, you can't. You can't see all my glory. Because if you do, you'll die. Because my glory is the full blaze of my holiness. It had to be veiled. It had you might remember the story in Exodus 34. He had to be hid in the cleft of a rock with God's hand over him because he couldn't handle the fullness of God's glory. And later when God came to dwell amongst his people, he had to be veiled in that tabernacle with multiple layers of observance that had to happen. His glory had to be veiled. But now, now we can see his glory, not, not from afar, not on the mountaintop, 
not veiled in the tabernacle, but we can come face to face with God's glory. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the full glory of God's character, you don't have to go to the tabernacle anymore. You can just look in the face of Jesus Christ. You look at Jesus. And no longer a consuming blaze, but at Christmas time, the full glory of God becomes what? A baby. Isn't that astonishing? And what's a baby? Approachable, accessible. There's nothing really dangerous about a baby, is there? You don't need days of sacrifice. You don't need special robes. You don't need to be the high priest once a year to come into the presence of his glory, you can be the lowest, smelliest, uneducated shepherd on the hills of Bethlehem and you can come into his presence. You can walk right up to him. You could be the hassled innkeeper of an overcrowded two-star hotel and look upon his face. You can just be you, whoever you are. Whatever your station in life, a mum, a dad, a worker, a retiree, and behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And why is that now possible? Do you know what glory is in the Gospel of John? Now, I've told you before, this is a little test. What's glory in the Gospel of John? You see, the word glory in the Gospel is... Uh, all the way through, it's one of the places you'll most find the word glory is in the Gospel of John. 28 times it comes. And some of the time it's about when Jesus does miracles. Uh, and usually miracles of compassion. That is care for those who are suffering or in danger of uh, some social shame. Uh, so one example, the very first one of Jesus's. Miracles was the miracle at the wedding. And what that miracle was all about was taking away the shame of the family because they'd run out of what they should have had. Uh, So you do see glory talked about in those terms, but most often in the Gospel of John, more often than anything else, what's it talking about? It's talking about when Jesus is glorified. And what's that talking about in the Gospel of John? It's talking about the cross. It's talking about when Jesus dies upon the cross, suffers for our sin, to reconcile us to God, to make us holy, so we can come into his presence. And why is that the glory of God? Well, it's because where it's the place you most clearly see the character of the God we love and worship. You remember when Moses said, show me your glory. What did he say? He went before him and this is what he said. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. God's glory is the fullness of his character and his grace. And so where else do we see that more fully than in the cross of Christ? Where we see a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And keeping that love, yet by no means clearing the guilty. That's a little statement of the cross, isn't it? So we see God's forgiveness of you and I, the place in which we are made holy, made right, made fit for relationship with God, even as he suffered and died for us. And the wonderful thing about the glory of God is it's not just that we can see it in the face of Jesus, but through the cross we actually have the glory of God come right into our hearts. It gets even closer than that. And it transforms your life because God gives us his Holy Spirit to make us more and more like the character of God himself. It's like a stained glass window. It's one of those occasions where I wish we had stained glass windows I I could point to. But have you ever seen a stained glass window at night? You look at it and it's a bit drab and dark and muted. And I don't know, at the end of a long, hard year, maybe that's how you feel, a little bit drab and dark and muted. Uh, It's an exhausting time of year. I know a lot of people are really tired. But when the glory of the sun rises on those stained glass windows and its beams shine through it, what happens? Ah, the beauty and the majesty and the colour of that window comes to life, doesn't it? Well, Christmas is the celebration of the glory of the sun coming into the world. Christ and that glory coming to be not just with us but in us and when that happens life goes from black and white and drab to full color as the glory of God shines through us and we can see the full wonder of what God created us to be the word become flesh and tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory and participate in it. Well, isn't that worth celebrating? Celebrating this Christmas. That's really at the heart of what we will be celebrating next Monday. The word has become flesh, soft, vulnerable, killable. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Christmas celebrates the meeting between God and people. And we have seen his glory. God's glory has been made accessible. We can come into the presence of his glory because Christ has died for us. Well, I think the only thing I need to say uh, at the end of that is, happy Leviticus Christmas. (laughs) I hope uh, you have a merry and good one in the week ahead. And as you do, you will remember all that wonderful family history that we have in Christ and his long plan of salvation. Uh, through him. Let's pray.
Well, Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank and praise you that you have a plan that began before the beginning of time and that you made it possible to come and dwell with us. Uh, Father, there is such depths and such wonder in the fact that you, in Christ, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we marvel at the depths and beauty of that reality, we pray that this Christmas we might be able to see more and more clearly uh, just the transformative, glorious, wonderful power that you have given through Christ and the glorious, wonderful, unfolding plan and eternal hope that you call us to uh, through this wonderful season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.